I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Am Kosky. I'm Dustin Kosky. And we love to watch. We love to watch waltzing sex statues. for the podcast we're gonna see what the limits are to uh our discussion that's mostly just us talking over each other anyways that all gets edited out everyone thinks we're very good at having a conversation <laughs> especially now the way that the new way that i edit where i can just i can just make it sound like you're not even interrupting me it's awesome peter just you know i edit that way too like we can say we we're co-hosts <laughs> They're gonna say co-workers. It's like that requires us to get paid. Uh yeah, so Adam's on. Adam Kosky, uh Dustin, who is Dustin's been on before, we'll still we'll still introduce him. Uh but uh he he runs our great uh YouTube page. And Adam Kosky is his brother. Uh I have seven brothers. Not not one of them has even been invited on this show. But, uh, we, <laughs> Do you have seven brides for them? Uh not yet. We're I think we're down three. <laughs> so if you know four brides looking for i mean one is 14 and one 16 so if you know a couple child brides too um, blink once um if you've read a good cracked article at least in the last year on video games or movies uh there's a good chance that adam's written it uh and we're gonna let him talk a little bit about himself in just a sec before we uh welcome adam and let him talk about himself um i would like to use this opening opportunity to confront dustin um <laughs> So Dustin, if you remember our first, so Dustin's has guested on our show before for a simple plan, and uh, he had mentioned during that episode that uh, at the, at the time we were making a lot of jokes about how our opening segments were much maligned, and Dustin came on the show and kind of gave him a culpa that when then when we talk about that, uh, we're referring specifically to him. Um, <laughs> no and- other people have complained. No, well, no one else talks to us. Uh, so they keep their complaints inside. So I can't, I can't say for certain. So anyway, so a couple weeks ago, Dustin messaged us and he said, "Hey, I think I might have been wrong about the opening segments," and that felt that felt really good. Uh, cut to today, and I noticed that uh, in a in a read on a certain website, Dustin has written a comment that said. Go ahead and skip through the opening 20 minutes of this episode to someone that we don't know. <laughs> um, do a, they do a quiz that's not funny. So, Dustin. Excuse me. I remember you saying it wasn't even coherent. So I'd say I was being flattering. <laughs> well, I didn't say it wasn't funny. I just said it wasn't co- Like, if coherency is what you're looking for, this is the wrong podcast. <laughs> So we Dustin, never cornered anyone on the podcast. I know. Dustin I feel really. Is... I feel really good about it because I assume that Dustin actually really does like our opening segments. And but I understand. <laughs> I if you, do if you now. Yeah, <laughs> they generate a lot of traffic on YouTube. <laughs> Those are by far the most popular clips. I just can't wait for this episode to get posted. And when I recommend it to people, I'll be like, because <laughs> I know Dustin has helped write the quiz or the game, and be like, you just skip through that part. 
All right, here are all the parts Dustin Kosky speaks. <laughs> From 317 to 329. <laughs> 50 time codes. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to start releasing Dustin edits on YouTube? <laughs> just a petty little man. <laughs> Someone who has helped our podcast in innumerable ways. And I'm just like, but then he said something to someone, to, to someone who he was trying to get to listen to our show, who actually, it's probably a good recommendation for a new person to be, because that would have been like, who the fuck are all these people? Why aren't we talking about house? So show wise and for getting a new listener, it's probably a really good idea. But fuck you, Dustin. I'm going to spend the rest of my days burning down this house. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of house do you think we have that you could spend the rest of your days burning it down? You, this would be like spending your whole life burning down a dollhouse. <laughs> I don't know what if we the- can afford a dollhouse. <laughs> kind of a, a shanty operation. Um, but yeah, the, Dustin is uh, the the proud gentleman who is uh, running our YouTube channel and will soon be producing some content under our We Love to Watch Empire. Yeah, we we, we, so let, pl- we now that the gotcha segment's over, which felt really super good, I can totally see why people do that on uh, like daytime talk shows. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, let, let's let's let yeah let's let Adam tell us three things about himself, and then Dustin, you get to say three other things about yourself. I used all mine up the last episode <laughs> yeah you're n- no repeating there has to be three new things about you since the last time you were on okay like the rash cleared up uh. <laughs> <laughs> well as was uh, mentioned i'm a writer i've written for cracked i've also written some stories i've written one uh, fantasy novel called uh, forest with uh dustin my <laughs> the dead person to us. Oh, okay. Uh, Rest in peace. My day job, I work in, it's kind of hard to describe, it's called like a seed analyst. I work with planting seeds, uh, evaluating how well they've germinated in different conditions, uh, treating some of them, love different tests with different soils different temperatures type things so and what are you what are you trying to find <laughs> the perfect seed <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> mostly it's He's for seen... different customers who oh okay want to identify their seed as having this much uh vigor or being able to grow well in these different uh temperatures is kind of the main area and then there's a lot of different side tests for different things so when you listen to the guided by voices song i am a scientist do you think yep that's me <laughs> that's, that's my way of asking if, if this counts as being a scientist i i don't think it does at my level yet maybe okay. maybe someday if i keep adam working. i've told you a hundred times <laughs> you put things in scientific controlled conditions you analyze them you have controls you have test subjects you are a scientist okay that's really sweet can we insert some applause (laughs) yeah (laughs) the day that adam realized he was a scientist (laughs) i thought dustin was gonna say when someone asks you if you're a scientist you say yes (laughs) that's really terrific 
Well, really, he's a botanist, but... I like this trickle of information that I get about the Koski brothers. <laughs> like, so, so mysterious, especially the fact that Adam writes for Cracked, and you guys wrote a book together, and you guys seem pretty prolific on the web. Um, it's, it's just a very interesting... You guys have a very interesting mutual story, and then finding out different wrinkles about that are that's just specific to the one the one of you is is fascinating especially uh, last time we found out <laughs> Dustin's I guess you both your fathers uh, uh, were involved in the train business at a certain point well uh, uh, he was shot at you yeah. shot at well it, a bull, it's more like bullets hit the train while he was in the train <laughs> I mean I consider that being shot at yeah. I mean like if I were in a mech warrior suit and someone shot at me <laughs> well I mean it, it wasn't even the same car he was in Oh, got it, got it, got it. You're yeah. not good at telling the story, though. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I've got a really interesting story, and then you just he gradually bent. back down. It's because we <laughs> made a joke about his dad driving trains or something. He's like, actually... <laughs> No, <laughs> as if there's going to be like a there's going to be like a great story detective that's going to come around and be like, uh, actually, Dustin, <laughs> this is not this is not factually correct. Well, I don't want to um, oversell it. Your dad listens and is like, I work for the fucking IRS, Dustin. <laughs> uh, I'd be pretty horrified if he did that, but let's not go into that. Okay. Yeah, oh, no, we know how much you, you like money and not <laughs> Well, no, that's not it. But anyway, moving on. Yeah. No, Adam, Adam still got one more. Yeah, I was trying to think of the third. I don't want to go too generic here, but I'm... Uh, Big fan of animation, I guess, is my third one. So I'm glad I got to do this movie. Yeah, it's I, then uh, I'm glad that we have. Uh, I assume Dustin is as well, considering I've seen one of Dustin's uh, shorts that he, he actually hosted that on our. If you'd like to me. watch it, you can watch it on uh, the We Love to Watch YouTube page. Uh, it's really fantastic. I can uh, I can deep. guarantee this is going to be our most link heavy show note. <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> yeah. Just because they, I mean, that's not even meant as a like a joke. It's just there is a lot. Uh, you guys do a lot of you shit. Guys do a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I figured that between the two of you, that Fantastic Planet would be a really great choice because it, it seems like both of you are really into an animation. And Aaron and I are more uh, casual observers of, of the genre, or I don't even know, form. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I, this is our first animated movie that we'll have on the show. So it's good to have someone that can maybe lend some perspective, or I guess two people that can lend some perspective to us dopes. P Peter and I have literally never had a conversation about how many animated movies I've seen. So I'm a little concerned that he has decided that I've seen exactly as many as him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've I've uh, audited your letterbox. Oh, okay. And... Well, and I've run you through the uh, the system, and um, we're both um, <laughs> we're both noobs. Thank you so much, Adam. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Dustin, you got any new stuff to share? Uh, do you want? If you want, you can. We I'll I'll edit this part out. But if if you want to talk about uh, the new series, the remake, this 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 would be a we okay. might as well be in the front. We we're uh, developing a new series called Remake This. What we're doing is we're taking obscure movies or movies that had a great premise, a great hook, an intriguing concept behind them, but they just messed it up while they were producing the movie in a way that can be fixed 
if you try it again. So a lot of people say, you shouldn't remake these great classics from the past. Take movies that were in some way fundamentally flawed and remake that. I've heard that said by Pat Oswald. I've heard it said by the Red Letter Media guys. And we're going to try to actually sell people on that uh, new paradigm. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a genius concept because it's something that for years um, you want to do. Yeah, you're just like, you're like, uh, you look at the core bones of a movie and, and there's just something about it that gets you, but just as it exists, it doesn't work. And um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be really, really tremendous when it comes together. And I, I can tell you, I remember the first movie I ever thought that about, which which is blasphemy now. I've come around a little bit on it. But uh, I remember seeing They Live in high school and being like, you know, maybe instead of a 10-minute fight scene, <laughs> I would have been more interested if they would have gone deeper into the satirical and allegorical elements of the movie. I realize then, now that was wrong. Yeah, and then Rowdy Rowdy Piper came to your house and kicked your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, it's a documentary. <laughs> that's something he that's something he kind of straight facedly claims on the commentary track for They Live. Yeah, that's like just John he doesn't know how to act. They're like just filming on his day Yeah, like John Carpenter. Yeah, they actually had to legally change Rowdy Rowdy Piper's uh birth certificates to Nada for him to make the movie because it's a interesting thing because like john carpenter said he's like yeah it's like a documentary sort of like being facetious but basically you know saying the movie was very uh prophetic and a lot of what it was saying about uh the media and uh rowdy rowdy paper was like it's literally a documentary <laughs> roar <laughs> i'm wearing a kilt <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's it's I uh, jumping back. Uh, we're super excited to see it all come together. And we're sort of building a little little podcast family over here, which is it's just really fun to see it come together. So uh, yeah, thank you very much, Dustin. Yeah, and make sure both of you sign those adoption papers we sent <laughs> uh, because it's a family. <laughs> so Dustin and Adam have this. This is a big moment for us in the show. Uh, we we've had guests bring on. Uh, little games and stuff to play in our opening segments. Uh, but we've always been like the uh, like the, the the mothers who are like, okay, you go ahead and make your Thanksgiving turkey. I'm gonna just make this backup turkey just in case it doesn't go well. Uh, this time, Peter and I, as far as I know, have not come up with any sort of games in opening segments. Uh, Dustin Adams said. Hey, we got an idea. We both made a turkey. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Shall I begin? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We call this one Battle of the Hosts. Adam and I will each be selecting one of you, and we'll be competing to see which host can have their contestant get more answers right. So first off, I'm super excited about your game show voice. <laughs> it's <laughs> if fantastic. You could, if you could never stop that. <laughs> I would appreciate it. <laughs> I'm right. a little underwhelming here, unfortunately. Well, no. it, in that case, I'm selecting you, Aaron, as my contestant. <laughs> do, do you think that Pat Sajak, when he was at home, accidentally throws that voice on when he's like, <laughs> like his wife's like, "Honey, how was dinner?" He's like, "It's fine, but I have a little diarrhea." <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> Sorry, Dustin. <laughs> like, please continue. 
Now that the flow has been thoroughly interrupted. <laughs> All right, Adam, select your contestant. Why? Hmm, it's a tough decision, but I will take Peter. Thank, thank you for settling. All right, let's begin Battle of the Hosts. Aaron. Yeah. No, I'm here. Can you hear that dramatic <laughs> lightning? Yeah. No. Should, do you want to write down the time so we can edit it in? <laughs> no, I mean, we're in a lightning storm, and I just wanted to pause if that lightning was picking up. Okay, just to be clear, you can't hear the lightning. Uh, uh, the thunder. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, right. can we talk about... That's one point for you. <laughs> I will allow this. <laughs> Is this is the name of the game explain meteorological meteorological <laughs> events to Dustin? Or is it can I pronounce meteorological I still can't. That's negative one point. <laughs> Can we have a scientist explain to me how to say meteorological? Meteorological pronounce meteorological. <laughs> there we go. Thank the you. The password is meteorological. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oof. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> to answer this question or to say meteorological. Okay. Question one. Roland Topar also made a short film about giant animals attacking the c a city. It's included on the Fantastic Four DVD release. What kind of animals were they? A. Dogs. B. Snails. C. Donkeys. D. Rabbits. E. Bulls. It was included on the Fantastic Four DVD release? <laughs> <laughs> Cross promotion. Yeah. Question one. Uh, no, um, so, I, yeah, shit. I, have the, I, I was going to watch it, and then I didn't get a chance to. So, every single one of those sounded right to me. <laughs> um, but... I'm going to go with donkeys. Wrong. The correct answer was snails. That leaves you with one point. Okay. Great. Oh, from the previous fuckery? Yeah. <laughs> the title of the short was uh, Les Sescargos on the Criterion Collection. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's right. So if you spoke French, you would know it was snails anyway. <laughs> or, or rabbits if you watch through to the end. What? At the end, uh, they drive the snails away and then rabbits show up. Spoilers. It's really a prequel to Night of the Lepus. Yeah, they, par <laughs> oh, they parodied Night of the Lepus before it existed. <laughs> he, he was a visionary. <laughs> well, my turn? Yeah. Okay. Peter, this quiz section is called Sacre Blue Aliens. No Smurfs, Navis, or Elves. You have to name the animated movie or character. What dialogue-free movie with a band of blue alien musicians is a French-Japanese co-production of Daft Punk's second album? Is it Discovery? That's the name of the album, but do you know the name of the movie? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, no, I'm trying to think. Is it like Human After All or something? Nope. I'm afraid the title is... Interstellar 555. I would have never gotten that. It, Why have I not heard of this? That's crazy. Semi-obscure, but you'll get your chance to get <laughs> my points later. Yeah, I, I feel there's a, based on the last game, I feel there's a twist. 
coming. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't there kind of already a twist? Then I got All a right. point for uh, <laughs> correcting your understanding of thunderstorms. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, was going to say is yeah that I'd never heard of that. Have you guys seen that one? Uh, yes, it's uh, bad. It's bad. <laughs> yes. it, the animation's okay, but the the plot's pretty weak, as one would expect a visual realization to kind of be. And it, and it uses Daft Punk's music. Yep, throughout <laughs> the entire. Yep, the entire uh, soundtrack is just yep. music, no dialogue or anything. Huh. Right. I gotta check this out because I love Daft Punk. Well, I mean, most people love Daft Punk, but I, I gotta check this out. The subtitle is the story of the secret star system with uh, fives in place of the S's, because... The puns. story of the secret star system. <laughs> <laughs> Can you use that voice instead of this game show? <laughs> Okay. We could really yeah. do a morning zoo podcast if we get dusted on more often. <laughs> so, he does a I lot of a, voices. Next uh, question for Peter. Same category. Not yet appeared on the show. What genius military leader who is a Chiss, a blue alien, becomes a Grand Admiral in the series Star Wars Rebels? I actually know this one, and I've never seen Rebels, and I've never read any of the book series, but is it uh, Admiral... Is it Thrawn? Yes. Very good. Yeah. The, the, once the Star Wars um, Extended Universe died off, I had to read so many think pieces about whether or not that was a good thing or not. And I remember seeing that, like, he still kind of lives on in a different form in Rebels. Yeah, I read the Heir to the Empire trilogy. It was really good. I, I For some reason, I was a kid that loved Star Wars, but I just didn't, didn't know timing. how to read. But didn't know. Oh, that's why. <laughs> it's like the heights of... Uh, people liking the empire more than the re rebels yeah yeah B because we just come out of reaganism and we were the imperialists and we were coming to grips with it <laughs> <laughs> we're like sorry to get political folks <laughs> you're like i don't like underdogs anymore <laughs> that that really was the 80s yeah like scrappy underdogs get the fuck out of here final in this section for uh peter so i so hold on <laughs> Is is the twist that we never ask me another question again? <laughs> no, there's there's questions for you. Okay. I have a whole other bunch of questions ready. Okay. Great. Cannot wait to find out if this won't bite me in the ass. <laughs> this hit me blue... hit me, Adam. <laughs> okay. And our final closing out this category. This blue shape shifting Azorian monkey is the pet of the Wonder Twins. And one more time, this blue shape-shifting Exorian monkey is a pet of the Wonder Twins. Man, I've got no idea. I don't on even the, know what the... On the Super Friends. Oh, yeah. The Wonder Twins on the Super Friends. That... Yeah, as opposed to the other Wonder Twins <laughs> that ran for Congress in Tennessee. <laughs> the Doublebit Twins. <laughs> um... Yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna have to take a, a blank on that one, unfortunately. All right, Aaron, do you know? So it's one, is it's one to one, even though I've got one question. <laughs> I got it wrong. <laughs> Would you like to steal what is the blue shape shifting monkey owned by the Wonder Twins on the Super Friends? Sure, I'd like to, but I don't know the answer. <laughs> it's Gleek. 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 That's a term I've heard before. That's when you oh. spit, but you don't really spit. 
<laughs> I think it was inspired after the character. It's very appropriate for this character. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, I didn't know we could steal uh, questions from people. To your previous Dustin question, um, uh, it's uh, snails. <laughs> <laughs> that is true to... It's a two to one now with Peter leading. <laughs> All right, Aaron. I like this. Is choose your own adventure at this point. <laughs> How did Fantastic Planet's protagonist Tear get his name? A. It's short for Terran, meaning of Earth. B. He represents a tear between Drog and human society. C. He's a little terror. D, his mom's dying words were saying his name, Terrence, but she died before she could finish it. So is this, is this the extended universe? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it's A. I'm sorry. It's C, he is a little terror. Is that, that's that's true? That's, yeah, that's what the prime minister of the drug says about him. Oh, okay. And that's what inspires his daughter. To name him that. At least in the text, that's the official reason. Got it. So can I steal that answer from myself? (laughs) (laughs) Because Peter did not jump in to steal. Can I steal his steal and say that it is C? The score is now two to two. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Well, I really got you on that steal. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, Go on. New section, this for Peter. Uh, Tower of Technobabble. Name whether the Technobabble is from the Drog Info headpiece or from some other uh, piece of fiction. Bonus points if you can name the piece of fiction or who is listening to the headpiece at the time. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so the first one. Sublime and Dulcify? Calciline? Know the Sapper Pontic? Sapper Stepidic? Or what is homogene or heterogene? You know, it doesn't sound familiar from Fantastic Planet, so I'm going to say it's not from that movie, but I don't know what it's from. That's correct. Uh, you have three. Um, Aaron, do you want to guess what that is from? Or, Peter, you can chew in the dark if you want. No, I've got no idea. Half those words I don't think I've heard before. Is it from the DVD of Fantastic Four? <laughs> I'm afraid it's three to two still for Peter Sweaver. <laughs> it's uh, from a Ben Johnson play... The Alchemist, it's two conmen talking about the Philosopher's Stone, and according to TV Tropes at least, it's the oldest known technobabble. Okay. Interesting. That is interesting. Uh, I would not have ever gotten it. I was like, are there people that actually know what he's saying? <laughs> I, I, I felt like chiming in and was like, you know, if you tune in late for the podcast, we're, we're playing a game. No one's having a stroke. <laughs> according to what I read... uh Johnson was pre-Meticulous's research, but it is still supposed to be kind of nonsensey talk because they're just uh, charlatans talking. It's reverse the polarity, basically. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Next in this category, more technopable coming for Peter. The diagonometer is emphemolated by the thermodrocal. <laughs> it's made by its connection with the fran coupling of Durandine. And again, the Delongum... Nah. I don't know why you're having trouble. <laughs> <laughs> now you know what I was going through last week. <laughs> when you had to say what an Italian last name. 
The alognitor is amphibolated by the thermotrochal. It's made by its connection with the Fran coupling of Durandine. Um, I'm just going to say it's from the movie. It is not. Okay. Uh, Aaron, do you want to shoot in the dark? Yes, it's from The Alchemist. It's a play (laughs) by Ben Folds. Ben Johnson. No, no, different play. Same title. (laughs) It's from a 1940s movie called Desperate Journey, and the actor saying the lines is Ronald Reagan. Oh, interesting. Had a brief appearance in uh, Fargo. It's, it, inspired, no, season two. it inspired his Star Wars strategy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, whatever that means, make it real. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, is I have no, this is definitely techno babble because I've not even been able to suss out um, <laughs> what any of it means. It's been saying. And this was the <laughs> easier section of, the, it, it's longer in the the movie. God. All right, that must be why we haven't heard of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron. Oh, hey. What job did the writer and the director of Fantastic Planet share before making this movie? A. They were both police officers. B. They were both marketing sloganeers. C. They were both ice cream salespeople. D. They were workers at a mental hospital. I feel like the name of this quiz is going to be science and research. (laughs) And this is entirely designed to prove that we don't do the research that we claim that we do. Um, We've debunked this podcast. um, Little did I know my gotcha opening would be. Yeah. You didn't realize I'm actually James Randy the whole time. Yep. <laughs> and this is my partner, Teller. <laughs> this is what it feels like to be lifted by your own petard. Um, I, f- I don't know. Ice cream salesman? I'm sorry. They were workers at a Damn mental it, that, hospital. That was my second choice. That sounded like your your funny alt option. Like, I'm going to throw something crazy in there. Yeah, did it. it well, it stuck out to us because it was amusing that this movie that's considered so crazy and silly was made by guys that worked with people that um, had illnesses. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Even some of their first uh, film work, or at least, uh, Le, I can't pronounce his name. I can, Le Lowe's, uh, Le Loy, I believe. Early work, like he did shadow plays with uh, um, mental patients and some of his first short movies were kind of aimed at creating works for them as I what to entertain people at the mental hospital that's kind of lovely like uh the idea that that his art was brought on and created with the intent of like helping people um that need help the most that's kind of lovely that it wasn't that they're horrifying shadow plays <laughs> yeah exactly i don't know if they actually helped <laughs> they could have created more nightmares uh, this was part of the mental hospital scared straight program <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
before before we continue, I'll, I'll note that Peter has forfeited his chance to steal again. I'm going to steal and say D. <laughs> workers in a mental hospital. Uh, oh, Peter, you shouldn't have been like commenting on <laughs> the nature of the question. How, how dare I banter? You, I truly am the greatest monster. The point <laughs> is it three three? I don't. We didn't hire a scorekeeper. It's four three now. Oh. Ooh, okay. In my favor, I see. <laughs> Wait, well, are we are we like the toys in their I, master game? This is this is like a fucking Star Trek I, episode where two gods take humans as like contestants and then like I, play them I against each the, other. I made very clear this is called Battle of the Hosts. I got it. It's Adam and I competing using you, you two. Mm. It's kind of like when the drag used the arms to fight each other. <laughs> What, what's that from? <laughs> Fantastic Four, I oh, think. Yeah. <laughs> After I've been, I've been, I've been exposed as nakedly not doing any research. Why? Maybe I haven't watched the movie either. And, and uh, the last, the last round with Adam was uh, very much like communicating with some sort of god because uh, I couldn't understand what he was saying. <laughs> my, my mere mortal mind couldn't decipher any of that techno babble. <laughs> well, you still have two more chances to pull ahead. One oh, more, god. Oh, one more chance. Yeah. To pull ahead. You made me cut that other techno babble. So, one last question for Peter to tie. <laughs> tie maker question. <laughs> so, again, uh, just to refresh, uh, techno babble either from the headpiece or from some other property, and bonus points if you can name from who's hearing the headpiece or what piece of fiction. Destrudo mm -hmm. reaction in old area, pattern sapia. A change is confirmed on the core plus two. I'm going to say it's not from Fantastic Planet? Correct. It's 4-4. Four, four. Do you want to guess? guess? Yeah, it's from uh, Ben Fold's sequel to Alchemist 2. <laughs> <laughs> Alchemist Boogaloo. Yeah. Re-alchemy. Turning, turning gold into shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have no idea. Yeah. That's from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Well, our guest last week would have gotten that. Yeah, Bridget would have nailed that one. She was telling us last week that we should watch uh, watch that, that show. There's both a... Well, she probably can explain better than I, but there's both a older series and a newer movies. So I, I'd recommend both for okay. my two cents. And that ends as a tie. So... Yes! As expected, we ended a tie. <laughs> this is even worse is than there, one of is, us winning. Is there a tiebreaker? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> there's never... As you said, as expected, it ends in a tie. I was like, <laughs> this is where the twist comes. I'd like to, I'd like to that steal... That is my catchphrase. Oh. I'd like to steal four points from Aaron and then also um, end the game after that. <laughs> yeah, well... The no. judges will deliver. Okay. No. No. Oh. <laughs> no. Aaron, you're not a judge. Good call, judges. <laughs> on, on to the movie? Yeah, let's yes. talk about Fantastic uh, Planet. It smells of bones. What vermin? The Great Council should deomize the park more often. Owning a domestic arm is all right. They're amusing. But all these savage ohms, they steal, they're dirty, and they reproduce at an appalling rate. There's a nest of them there. A whole colony. But yeah, do you, uh, Aaron, uh, do you want to do the 90 second? I'll do the five. I actually think that we should let uh, one of them do the five and one of them do the 90. Oh, no, yeah. After, the 90? <laughs> after that, I think that's what I just said. 
brutal <laughs> after that brutal gauntlet of a, of a game, yeah. I'm going to need right. uh, I'm need Dustin to do the ninety. I need Adam to do the five second recap. So Adam, recap the movie as fast as you can. Okay, big blue aliens treat humans as pets until we fight back. That's terrific. Okay, that's minus one point. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like golf, where the lower point is score is better? Yeah, in this game, yes. <laughs> that was a twist. All right. A woman in a foreign landscape is trying to escape some sort of pursuer with her baby, um, is struck multiple times and then lifted into the air and dropped, and it turns out it's big blue aliens. Other big blue aliens come along and adopt the baby after she passes away. And he's sort of integrated into their society, but as a slave pet, the society is obsessed with meditating for reasons which are not exactly clear. And eventually, and he, in the process, is educated by proxy of one of their infotainment headsets. I don't know if it's infotainment, but then he escapes that society finds a significant other, ingratiates himself into a human society by means of the information he's acquired from the infotainment headset. Uh, there is a human massacre that the aliens are going to be committing. He uses that information to save some of the humans, takes them to an abandoned factory where they build rockets that fly them to another planet because it turns out that the meditation is them sending their souls to another planet where they reproduce, where the big blue aliens reproduce from creatures from another planet. And after destroying some of their waltzing sex statues, the humans make peace with the big blue aliens. Yeah, that was, that was perfect. Also very helpful to me, because as I said, I didn't watch the movie. Oh, no. I didn't. I, I did watch the movie. Please don't edit that out, Peter. How so, was that coherent? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really good. It actually, if I would have said you would have written that uh, beforehand, if someone had told me that, I would I have believed not. that. So it was really good. Um, yeah, so why don't we get started with um, – so I think Peter and I are going to be kind of quick because okay. we have no we have no history uh, with this movie. So, But just kind of give some background, uh, what we thought of the movie, how we were aware of it, and what we thought of it. And then you guys can kind of go into some of your background and because obviously this is not the first time that you guys have seen it. You guys have uh, – longer history going back with this movie um and then we'll and then we'll just kind of dive into stuff that we want to talk about from there so um i can start really quickly um this this has been really this has been really high in my watch list since i read keith uh phipps uh laser age column where he mentioned it uh back in the dissolve um i think it was a six column and i i was honestly you know i i really do like animation but um I'm pretty bad about the obscure foreign ones. Like, I've watched a lot of Disney. I've watched a lot of the the stuff that everybody's aware of, like the 1930s Gulliver Travels movie and, you know, some of the stuff from the 70s that was really popular. But anything anything outside of that realm of stuff you could probably walk into a blockbuster in the 90s and rent, I'm probably uh, – I don't have a great education on it and, and definitely need to get better. So this, this was really high on my list. Um, you know, so high on my list that I wanted to kind of fit it into a month, uh, as, as quickly as possible to talk about it. And, you know, when I first, when we first, when I first started watching the movie, I was questioning of whether bug nuts was, uh, was the best, was the best month to put this in. Uh, and it, it, you know, it's, it's, nothing's going to be as crazy as house, which was our last week's 
episode. But I was a little concerned that, you know, maybe in trying to fit it in, this is going to look really tame. Uh, you know, some interesting visuals, but not really not really all that crazy besides just, you know, no point of view character and the aliens or, you know, we're, we're, we're the zoo animals, we're the pets to these um, aliens. And to my surprise, in the back half, uh, I think I was fucking extremely right that this was the this was the month it should have been in because it got uh, progressively stranger, uh, progressively weirder. And as Dustin uh, elucidates about the ending, really, really just a fucking bizarre head trip of what? Wait, what are the aliens been doing in the pods? Um, so I really liked it. It wasn't uh, wasn't quite what I expected. Um, but between the, the, the imaginative visuals and the way it just kind of gets progressively weirder, um, I really thought this was, a I thought this was a treat. Yeah, I, uh, I had very little experience with the movie. Uh, I'd seen it obviously when you trawl the Criterion shelves and you see the, uh, the big blue face staring at you. I just assumed that by the title and, uh, the fact it was a, a had this big blue alien on it that it was some sort of psychedelic stoner movie and though i'm sure that uh this movie has been uh viewed with the the aid of of weed plenty of times uh, i it ended up being a lot more conventional than i expected um and, and uh which sounds weird for a movie that just begins with the conceit um Human beings are tiny, running around little like cave creatures on an alien planet. And uh, here's all the other planets that are related to it. And here's how this alien life lives. And for a movie that begins with such a high concept, um, I never find myself lost like I would in a more surreal or psychedelic movie. Um, and uh, yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's a movie that this, this is an interesting thing that I you don't always see with animated movies. It's a movie that I wish they had a slightly larger budget, not to um, necessarily, you know, add more frames in each individual scene or something, but um, just to add more stitching scenes together. So I can like see more of this strange world or, you know, see more of character turns. Um, yeah. I could, I could have used more like, visages of the of the of the aliens um because the little bit you do get like where they're running across the planet you see all the bizarre other creatures that inhabit the world like i could have done i think they show like two or three um when they're escaping and i could have had that gone on for like i don't know 20 30 examples <laughs> of the weirdness um yeah at this point they're just kind of flavor they don't really say much about the planet except for that it's fantastical yeah there's that um, one monster that like just like sadistically throws flies on the ground uh -huh. Yeah, he doesn't even eat it. There's one monster that waits that like waits for a uh, one of the animals' eggs to crack open, and then kind of like you think it's like nurturingly petting it with its tongue, and then it just eats it immediately. Um, it, it, it's telling the story that it, this is a cruel planet. That's you know just because an, it's an alien. alien doesn't mean it's friendly. Yeah, and just like truly it's alien. Yeah, just because it's alien doesn't mean it's it's friendly or that it's going to be any less brutal than our nature. Um, but yeah, that was that's basically my story of the of, of the movie. I have no story, and uh, I very much enjoyed it. This was a great a great idea to do for for this month. But I, I actually disagree with Aaron in a way that it it's not as strange as I expected. I expected much much stranger. 
it was I didn't feel I didn't feel alienated by the movie that much. And that's not a bad or a good thing. That's just like uh, the movie was along for the ride the whole time. I saw this movie back when I was a freshman in uh, college. I got from the university library. I don't recall my exact feelings about it. I was starting to get into animation again at the time because I had kind of fallen out of interest in my high school years. I really uh, appreciated the art style I remembering the colorful cutout uh, stop motion style was something I remembered. I didn't remember as many of the scenes as I did, but the except a couple, which particularly like the uh, the very beginning, the terrified mother, the big blue hand, and then the very end also, I didn't forget. I really kind of like the movie from the multiple ways it can be approached. Like some of the chicken I did, there's a lot of different theories, interpretations of the movie. And also I kind of like putting it in a it's a historical context of this being one of the significant European animation movies to get attention. And while animation was kind of entering a decline or an age ghetto by and large throughout most of the world. Yeah, this is like made the year after Fritz the Cat. And I can't think of a more solid way of saying animation's in a ghetto now. What was, um, yeah, I can't, I can't think of another example. Um, I mean, to be, to be honest, until I read the column, I probably couldn't have thought of this as an example either. It just, it's not, it feels like besides like, uh, anime, it feels like the, uh, non-American, non-Japanese animation really, it's either not as big of a thing or it just hasn't really penetrated um, outside of their, you know, market. Yeah, because, like, you watch, um, I've seen some uh, I just want to be clear, some... it's their fault, not mine, is what I'm trying oh, to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I've seen some, It's it sometimes bounces around um, the, like, Russian Saturday morning cartoons. A lot of them are on YouTube. I've watched a couple of them before, and it's always very strange, because the, the, just the the way that information is communicated it's startling how similar it is and startling how different it is it's similar because we're human beings and some of the some of the ways that you communicate information visually is just intuitive and it's startlingly different because it was it came from a society that um isn't producing animation for necessarily the same reason that walt disney was um so yeah that's that's outside of japan america uh and uh, those few, few examples of like, and mostly as a novelty, um, Russian cartoons, like I haven't seen that much animation um, from anywhere else. Well, as Speeding Gonzales was from Mexico, right? <laughs> and and when Actually, Mickey wears the hat, that was made in Mexico. Yeah. Actually, at that period, a lot of animation that we now think of as being outsourced to North Korea, it was sent to Mexico. Oh, really? Yeah. A lot of like that, a lot of those like Rocky and Bullwinkle things. Those were animated in Mexico. Huh. Interesting. And some of it to Japan too. Japan right. was kind of treated well. It's not technical difficulty uh, as our in betweener outsourcing people before they start to develop more of their own infrastructure and storytelling. 
Well, that makes sense because Mexico is is now recovering from. They had like a huge film collapse, um, uh, and is, Mexico is now recovering from that. So that makes sense that the you know the eras that we would think of as yeah sort of classic animation eras that they would have a thriving industry full of professionals that were willing to to do the work and yeah that's 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 fascinating i wonder i, I wonder if the outsourcing to japan had a had a big influence on like how prevalent animation became uh in that country and that there was just a lot of people you know creating the actual animation in the cells and then eventually were like you know we could do this with our stories like we know the techniques i think there's a huge influence that both the actual technical skill of it, the after World War II kind of the enamoration with United States and Western in general uh, yeah, culture. The, yeah, like the War. anime style that comes from Fleischer cartoons and Betty Boop and that sort of thing. So getting that work to do things like Speed Racer and Astro Boy, that's going to create a homegrown industry. Hmm. Interesting. We learned something today, everyone. It's all... It's all stuff that uh, Aaron and I weren't really familiar with, so... But yeah. you already learned a lot of techno babble. <laughs> <laughs> Put that in your resume. <laughs> and this is a, just the sort of perspective. We're glad you got, you could bring this us on, because I think this episode would have been very different if we didn't... Uh... We didn't have uh, uh, people on that knew animation a little bit better than us. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it is weird to do any kind of episode where, like, I don't know if I had any kind of preconceived notions besides just that this was kind of considered a, you know, uh, a big animated movie. And it's about, um, it's kind of has some weird looking designs and it's science fiction-y and all that stuff really appeals to me. You know, I I don't know... I feel a little like I don't I'm not almost qualified to talk about this but only because like I watched it and I was like I really like that but it just it went in so many I think strange places and I feel like of all the movies we've done I have the least amount of notes and it's not it's not because that's reflective of the movie but unless we spend the entire episode talking about um the specific like like i'm not surprised that the opening scene really stayed with you adam because it's horrifying horrifying yeah it's horrifying and the 3d effect that they kind of make with the cutouts it and immediately places you in this um unsettling world and and something's off and you can't pinpoint it and then you know the the picture gets bigger enough to so for the alien to fill the frame and then you sort of start understanding what's going on um yeah, so Dustin, um, I don't think we talked about your history, your past. What what are your thoughts about this movie in general? Because I and the reason I especially want to know is because I know you had floated this as a potential remake, this at some point. So that that leads me to yes. believe that this movie didn't entirely work for you. Yes, there is something I would like changed about this movie. I saw the movie the same time Adam got it from when he was a freshman at um, college, and I just found it generally coherent, but I could get it. Then I looked into the background for the movie, and I thought, now I've got it. I believe it's actually a pretty coherent movie, but certain parts of it are symbolic in a way that you need to know the background for the movie to get. But they're certainly not too esoteric or specific or uh, unrelatable for a person in America. You just need to have that info, and it's easy to digest. Anyway, I believe it's uh, extremely creepy, but also sometimes kind of funny and emotionally compelling 
movie. Like, I... I felt more for Terry's mother, who's killed at the beginning of this movie, than I did for Bambi's mother. I felt sorry for... Do you want to leave, felt... like, a uh, silence there so the audience has time to gasp? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! <laughs> oh, all right, uh, let's really shock him. I cared more about the death of Terry's mother than I did the death of Littlefoot's mother <laughs> in Land Before Time. Yeah, but you don't get to know her as a character. All right, I cared more about <laughs> the death of Terrace Mother in this movie than I did about the death of Fry's dog in uh, Futurama. So did you, I guess the question is, did you not care about that, or are you just trying to underline how much you cared I'm about saying, this? I'm saying how much, okay. because these are kind of considered emotional touch points. Got it. I wanted to stop animation. that before, like... I cared more about yeah, it. Before Dustin started, like, mentioning real people Shit. in his life. Yeah, like, <laughs> I was a little worried there, too. Yeah. <laughs> I felt nothing at my Aunt May's funeral. Well, even for, like, the beginning of the movie, I... Uh, for like the first half hour of the movie that sort of lingered over the rest of the movie for me the rest the first time I saw it well part of it he becomes a pet he doesn't really ever talk or remember I mean he was yeah, he so young really, he but... can't really it can't quite emotionally connect with him because he's just a baby but still it's I kind of felt uneasy for even scenes that are supposed to be idyllic or slightly comedic or, or peaceful because they're in a alien equivalent of a a safe suburban setting. Yeah, and I and and actually, I want to back up a second because I think I think something I've said has been a little bit misinterpreted. So when I say that I think that this movie gets progressively crazier, I don't mean in like a Hausu or even a Southland Tales hard to follow. I mean in like the Goke way, which is like there, there's nothing to follow in Goke. Like everything connects. It's about how much they keep adding layers and layers onto a story until it kind of. It ends up in this kind of ridiculous place. It starts out somewhat ridiculous, and then it keeps going through these like iterations that add layers in a short period of time. And I see, I see, um, I see. Fantastic Planet is that type of crazy, not the this is impenetrable type of crazy. I feel like it's kind of like uh, it's a sort of crazy where when it's over, you're like, how the hell did we get to? to z you're like i know i know how we got from a to b to c but like how the hell do we get here it's sort of like um the movie just keeps adding concepts on yeah. top of, of one another and it moves so fast that um i never really felt too too disoriented after the first five minutes xyz especially really is just a couple Two minutes, maybe, it feels like. Yeah. Why I mean, not to talk anyway. go too much about the ending, it's, but... It's like, yeah, it's kind of a rushed ending is the problem. The rushed ending is, is kind of a problem in the sense that, like, I feel like towards the end they're using... And not necessarily that they, you know, animated this movie in, in uh, chronologically. But mm-hmm. towards the end, it feels like they're, they're recycling a lot more animations. And, like, the sequence where they're actually blowing up the, the big old... Um, sex statues it's just kind of like watching the same thing happen over and over again like i would have appreciated more uh, dynamic shots and i would have appreciated but on the flip side of that i would have appreciated a little bit more of the if we're talking about remake this uh, a little bit more of the human struggle like uh tear and who's who's uh tear's like would-be girlfriend in the she movie. doesn't get a name yeah tear is something i would like fixed for the remake yeah tear and 
her. Um, <laughs> I would I would love for those two to have uh, in some way an emotional relationship because we get the sense that Terror is is smart and he's a, a well thinking military leader at a certain point, but we don't really get a sense of his emotional struggle. Um, you know, the scene where Terror gets tied up late in the movie and then he gets released by an older uh, an old woman from one of the tribes. Yep, who's an elder. I would have loved for that elder to have a, a shot or a moment where she's, she realizes, oh, shit, we should have listened to him. Like, that, that's an emotional moment that's missing from the movie that's sort of you don't, you don't You don't think that, that she has that moment? No. She's just, it's, it's, off sc- it's off screen is the problem. Yeah, I, I think her facial, like, I don't know. I think it's implied. I mean, well, it's implied. She actually I... is cutting him, o- uh, not cutting him open, <laughs> cutting him free. <laughs> you saw the director's she, cut. She just, <laughs> she just looks kind of stoic, and yeah, she has yeah, the same like, annoying sad, expression like the whole movie. Were just killed. <laughs> well, they, are, they aren't all killed, but um, yeah, a lot of them. <laughs> if were. only they were decimated instead of... <laughs> well, well, the point is... Then I could justify her facial expression. Well, she's a really stoic and hard-as-nails type who's like, I don't cry like babies about all those de- dead bodies. But it's just inherently dramatic to see somebody who's like, I'm the leader that's kept this group alive. You know, I'm the leader that's worked capably for, you know, eons and... I just realized that I've made a huge mistake. Like, there's something really, really dramatic there, and I would have loved to have seen that moment. Instead, we just see her running up and cutting him free. And I think that it's it, the movie is sort of impressionistic because um, it doesn't have, like, a, a ton of frames. Um, and I kind of liked that about it. The sort of patchy quality to it made it my brain kind of fill in the gaps between frames uh, in that way. But um, I would have appreciated an extra little scene because it is 24 minutes and it moves like lightning, so I can't really complain. But uh, it's... it's uh, just one of my, my few complaints is that the ending moves super, super fast, and the I would have appreciated a more human struggle. So um, so I guess why – here's why I, I liked that there wasn't a human struggle in the sense that we're used to is because just because that these are like humans from Earth, they're, they're still pets raised in this like – Either they're, they're pests running around the world or they're pets raised by the affluent people. So, drugs. Yeah. So they're, so they're drugs. So they're, they're humans in the sense that they're from Earth. But they're not, they're not humans in the sense that, they, that we have any sort of like connection to how they emotionally work or how their brain process works. Maybe that wasn't the intention of the movie. But one thing I really appreciate about this movie is the way that even the the stuff that you're used to is alien. So to have like some sort of relationship between uh, terror and, and the woman he meets in a way that's like recognizable to us, I think undermines the overall like cold alien sense that they're trying to give the movie. And you see that even in the language that they use where they're translating words but even some of those translated words are are into other gobbledygook words that you don't know. Um, I think this movie does a good job of trying to seem like a fantastical planet that you can't quite comprehend. And 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 I I actually like that there's not really an identifiable human character or or a, or exact point of view character that we can kind of fit with because I don't think that fits with the the story that they're telling if you if you remove the allegorical aspects 
of it, which I'm sure we're going to get into in the near future. But I think if you just look at it as a straight like this, this is a world that you can't understand all that well. And even though there are humans in it, they're not any sort of humans that that would identify with you if you met them on the street. I, I disagree. I think that the, well, the I movie... disagree with you, Peter. So. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree that the movie works to make you the movie cares about you empathizing with both the humans and the drug. Um, I think that the movie works hard to make the drug seem remind you of like human nature and how cruel we can be to animals and how and how short sighted we can be politically. And I think that it, it wants us to identify with the humans on an elemental level. And it being alienating and sort of having uh, a coldness is uh, an interesting tone. And like it's it's something that makes uh, the whole thing fun to watch. But I don't think the movie would sink if it had pulled at our heartstrings a little bit more towards the human factor in it. And I do really like the movie. I sort of like it in the sense of, do you guys remember, I just like last year watched the Animatrix for the first time. Yes. What you number 10? Do you guys remember the first segment? That's just a cold anime voice just talking about the end of the world. Yes, where the uh, robots are basically developing AI and they're becoming more humanoid. And then they quote a lot of, Famous moments from history of revolution and oppression to make us sympathize with the AI, with the robots that have AI that we are worried are going to overthrow us. Yeah, it's it's a perfect summary summary of the thing, and it's very interesting to me because that piece stuck with me for a really long time because it it, it in one hand it's basically a horror story it's super scary it's super super creepy and it just shows how short-sighted people are and how they let these sort of political quabbles get in the way of uh, compromise until it's too late in that case but yeah it, it lets us sort of empathize with the, the robots and then after a certain point we are not empathizing with the robots and i think that's the sort of um, human struggle that it wants to take us on there. In this, I feel like they're sort of walking a similar tightrope walk where they want us to like both uh, empathize with the the drug and see them as villains to be toppled in a way. Judges? The, the thing about that is if you live in a European country, you don't have quite the good relationship with the idea of revolution that America does. We think of revolution as just overthrowing the British, getting the becoming an independent country, and from then on, it's safely elected officials. Over in Eastern Europe, where this movie was animated, over in France, over in Britain, revolution is such a horrible thing. It has such a horrible history that even if the uh, drugs are oppressive... Think shit can get so ugly if there's a revolution that you don't want to see that. It's not going to look heroic to you. And anyway, I think they do, they make the drugs human enough. They ha Some of them are nice to you human beings. Some are not. And the ones that tend to not be are either doing their jobs or they have prejudices we would have about uh, animals as well. And there are human sympathizers, as it were, including somebody who's sort of a viewpoint character for the drugs. So uh, I didn't want to see them killed. I didn't want to see the humans killed either. I'm kind of in between. I get what Aaron, I understand what Aaron means. They care both the drug and the alms aren't directly humanoid. They aren't like us, certainly not. But on the other hand, part of them is more relatable, particularly as Aaron pointed out on the 
allegorical level. And to kind of take a broad contextualization, this is one of the great things that Fantastic Planet does, is that even in the stronger works of animation at this time, there wasn't much for truly kind of different worlds, and there wasn't much for switching viewpoints or sympathetic perspectives in either uh, the U.S. or Japan or most other animated stories like the the whole scene of when they're kind of putting down the revolution like that almost seems clearly world war ii analogy right like or more or more like uh when the soviets were putting down the 1968 revolution in the czech republic in czechoslovakia okay that might be what i believe that's what that imagery is meant to invoke you can have multiple interpretations. Speculate that maybe they started with kind of a World War II perspective. And then as the Soviets became a dominant and dangerous and sometimes deadly force in Czechoslovakia, the animators and the filmmakers started to take a different perspective and made it feel like the story they were telling was closer to home. Yeah, because this was – this took five years, right? Yeah. I did some research, Dustin. <laughs> well, I'm sorry we didn't coordinate the <laughs> questions <laughs> research better. That would have really made a battle of the host if we <laughs> just fed them the answers ahead of time. All right. Is it A, B, or the correct answer? <laughs> <laughs> or C? Uh, <laughs> so if that revolution happened in 1968 and this came out in 72, so I mean, if- yeah – Fresh on everyone's minds. Yeah, they might have made it like these glowing uh, salt shaker things that are firing death rays and big rolling spheres that are crushing people. Because if they made it look like tractors or tanks crushing people, it would be too horrifying. So they need to make it more metaphorical so that either the Soviets don't shut down production or so that it's more tolerable and you can still sympathize with the drugs when they make peace. Some of the animation was even moved from Prague to Paris because they were concerned about interference from the Soviet authorities. Oh, thank God we don't have to worry about Russia nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the, the, the techniques for hunting down the, the arm yeah. uh, is pretty patently um, anti-dispersal technique or anti-crowd techniques. Like they, they literally send out those pellets that gas them. And though they're not like tear gas... Uh, like they would be probably during the most of the revolution, the concept of attacking people when they're they're not expecting it and gassing them out of their homes and, and making them run and, and gunning them down the streets like that's that's all imagery that would have been potent for those people that um, it needed to be potent for. So yeah, I, I, I that's fantastic background that I just didn't quite piece together on this movie. Thank you. Obviously, I think that they intended it to be kind of kind of an allegory for like civil rights in general and like coexisting but some some of the imagery too with the tear gas and that kind of stuff definitely evokes you know and based on when this was made evoke some of the you know uh, mid-60s american civil rights protests was that just analogous to revolution that was happening across the world or purposeful they were trying to have revolutions against the soviet union to stop being satellites and all that was crushed Basically, in the 60s. So I assume that's... Uh, so I don't think it's so much the civil rights movement. Not the American civil rights movement. Yeah. Maybe a, a 
more broader human civil rights movement is what can be interpreted from the work. Yeah, I, I suppose if you're try if you're trying to put down revolution, the techniques are the same, no matter if it's a civil rights revolution or like escaping a oh, country. It can be worse in some areas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Soviet Union used our, our civil rights riots as and, and you know civil rights protests and such as a sign like a sort of a, call to arms to say like this is how the americans the americans can't even live with themselves they they they, they don't they still treat you know black people like this like it's kind of fascinating to see like it's it's just sort of a universal basic thing that people can understand like they're underdogs and nobody likes to see an under underdog get stepped on unless it directly benefits you right and <laughs> if you are a soviet or an american to an extent you are the drugs. You are the ones benefiting, especially if you own a pet. Because if, <laughs> uh -oh. if we have a, if we have a lot of, I'm not a PETA guy. I still side with. I still don't want to see the drugs killed. If I, <laughs> I might if I were PETA, but <laughs> but uh, we have to kill a lot of animals just to keep our city streets safe because we can't have. Um, a lot of semi-feral cats and dogs running around, so that would be their justification yeah. for putting down this human revolution. And these are, to them, animals that are capable of organizing. Imagine how much um, cats and dogs could do, uh, damage they could do if they could read, if they could, if they knew where the supply dumps were, if they uh, knew how to plan attacks. Or if they could use our weapons. Yeah, clearly, based on what Dustin's saying, I've been really wasting my time reading Go Dog Go to our three dogs. But um, <laughs> they do go, so I figured they were getting, and sometimes they stop. A lot of, a lot of messages I thought they were getting from that book. Uh, but it, yeah, that is interesting because trolled? even how the, like, the mom is killed at the beginning – because of the curiosity of kids, essentially. Like, I don't think they're purposely trying to kill the mom. They're just like, what's this? What's this doing? Where is she going? Um, or, kids are, or kids are just kind of, especially back then, they were more thoughtlessly cruel because they don't have, like, what we would consider sensitivity training. They wouldn't grow up with humane societies and that sort of thing. I remember when I was a kid, I once killed an entire ant farm just to, because I was curious about would happen and what it would take to do it. Hopefully, I'm not like getting myself. On <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm interested. Hold on. So, just to go back, <laughs> you were interested what it would take to do it. I feel it's the most to, to interesting kill, part of that. To kill the ants inside the by shaking the glass. Okay. How much force it would take to kill them and how much would you I was wondering if you had a bunch of unsuccessful attempts <laughs> <laughs> no th th this was a single experiment and now you're a scientist <laughs> they stopped my potential you know it, it's sort of it's sort of become a, a cliche like um when you're when you're a kid if you kill animals that you're going to become a serial killer but it's really not about the killing because i think little kids don't understand the concept of death and sometimes the way that they learn that is kind of unfortunate because like everybody when you're a kid you're like what happens if i run my bike over this worm like everybody did shit like that as a kid and it's like less about that than 
Did you learn the right lesson from that? Not, that was fun. I want to continue murdering things that are smaller and get bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, and I, um, I, I think it's just a thing that kids do because they like don't know, they don't have a frame of context for it. Yeah, and my, like my, so my brother who's closest in age to me, who is like, has spent like the last 10 years of his life at humanitarian efforts and, and, uh, you know, volunteering across the world and doing stuff when he was younger. I really hope he listens to this episode because he, he feels a little bit embarrassed by this story. He uh, he he was a big animal person and loved animals, but he also was interested in uh, how animals reacted under certain situations. Um, so, for example, we used to live out in the country. There was all these frogs out there, and he used to collect frogs and take care of them. And then at some point, he realized that if he threw the frog up in the air over our driveway – it would land on the cement and lay still for like 30 seconds and then bounce back up and and move again. Like it was get a little coma for a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Um, playing dead. Just the shock of hitting concrete. <laughs> um, kind of. Um, and he thought that was the funniest thing in the world and then started throwing for like a day, throwing all of his frogs. Uh, up in the air, and so they would hit the cement and then would find that they all continued to get back up. Um, so, you know, he, he loved animals, but there is a point where it's like, how did, how, it feels like there's a natural thing where even the even the, the nicest among us as a child goes through the animals are great. What happens if I torture them? <laughs> I just want to see an ad on Frog TV that's just like, for just 10 flies a day, you can help undo the work of the Armstrong family. <laughs> it's possible that all his humanitarian efforts have been to make up for the frog torture, but... <laughs> are the frogs still croaking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just a wider point. The kids just don't quite understand... And I think that that's a genius way to open the movie to both make us understand how powerful the drug are, that even children are these like forces of death over us and also make us empathize with them a little bit because you're just like, they're just dumb kids and they're, they just have this power. And then we, and yeah. then we meet a good kid immediately. We meet, um, who's, who adopts Tara? Tiva. Tiva. Tiva is my favorite character. Yeah. Tiva T- 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 is great. Doesn't Tiva want to name, um, Tara? <laughs> that's awesome that's such a little kid that's such a great little kid thing the um and the drog uh, age at different rates we see uh tiwa grow up as well as we see tear grow up throughout the course of the movie uh together because uh it sort of it sort of becomes a white god situation yeah where uh the movie had shades of white god and planet of the apes and even avatar like it I'm sure it didn't inspire many of those works, but I, I could feel the, the sort of um, mutual minds, mind meld between them. I have a, a question that maybe you three are the wrong people to ask. Who, do you want to call that, someone? Well, I'm not curious enough to uh, actually look into contacting other people, but does the fact that I found the relationship between Tiva and Ter endearing and whatnot is that just because uh, adam and i have a pet or is that my privileged white male status making this look better to me and if i were like a black person or a woman who historically i could be treated like property or 
basically like a pet. This would uh, resonate a lot worse with me. Yeah, but black people and women can have pets, too. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I don't... Could slaves have pets? Well, I, 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 don't think, could. I don't think slaves could have property. I mean, that's sort of like that's sort of like that Arrest Development quote when um, Buster says that the vacuum is the maid's favorite toy. <laughs> <laughs> if you own a slave and a slave owns a do- owns like a donkey, it's not like his, it's not like his favorite you know animal. It's just the one that helps him not break his back that summer. You know, I I don't know. I don't I don't think that the, that it's it's that because I do think that it's easy to identify really quickly with just because I think it would have been more difficult if the humans weren't animated. Um, I think if you now, besides the fact that the movie would probably look really ridiculous, but I think if you had like real humans that were, you know, Lord of the Rings perspectives shrunk down, I think it might be more difficult to kind of relate to them as, oh, I think this is a kind of a cute pet relationship or a you know, and and I forget who said I forget who said this. Oh, I know. T.J. Miller talked about this at a stand-up I saw recently, where like, uh, where like pets are just basically friendship slaves, and, and that's that's somewhat true. And and I think that because the animation is how it is, I think it's easy to create distance and say. This this is not exactly analogous to a human. And I think we're supposed to be, feel kind of conflicted about it, right? Like, we're supposed to be like, yes, he's safe. Yes, he's loved by Tiwa. Yes, like, he, he you know, he's... Uh, if he is abused, it's not uh, malicious or yeah. determined or it's not more than he can handle because he... Because the scene with the makeup where she's making herself look human and he messes with her makeup. Yeah. Which is my fa- which is my favorite scene in the movie. I thought it was adorable. Um, he wouldn't feel safe doing. He wouldn't feel safe doing that if she were abusive. Yeah, and he doesn't feel uh, oppressed necessarily until uh, he sort of meets other um. Like they 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 all make fun of him for his silly hat and his silly pants when he meets up with them, and he's like, it's- "Oh, they were he." She was making a joke out of me. Like he he he's like. It's sort of like when we make pets wear clothes, like the pet doesn't know even to be embarrassed. It's kind of a weird thing, too, because the fad of dressing up pets hadn't really come along in the 60s or 70s yet, according to what I checked. So it was kind of a way to heighten their alienness, at least for the original audience. But now we can we kind of interpret a different meaning to it. Yeah, I just saw it as like it, just everyday French clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's wearing one of those Busbees yeah. with, with, with um, sort of um, a singlet, a wrestling singlet at one point. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really funny though. And and it took me a couple costume changes uh, because so much of the stuff is bizarre that it was like, okay, you know, Weird, weird choices, but I'm sure it doesn't mean anything. And it wasn't until like the third or fourth one, while um, their outfits stay or the the drugs outfits stay pretty consistent, where I'm like, oh, she's dressing her pet or her doll. I get it. Yeah, and and, and, and I mean, Aaron, you have a daughter. Tell me that if you're you gave your daughter a little like six to eight inch tall human being that like 
she could be dress dead, up and dead <laughs> possibly <laughs> possibly eaten but but, but like uh, she wouldn't uh, put a dr- like let's say she was a little older she wouldn't put no, a dress no, she on has, it or she something has, she has dolls and she likes uh you know she's she's too she's gotten to the age where like she she finds putting on uh different clothes on the on her like you know baby dolls and stuff fun uh way more interested in taking off their clothes i don't know what that means let's not get into it. um but uh yeah she uh yeah she she gets that like she gets that like outfits are fun and herself too like she you know she'll find like a stocking hat or something for winter and think it's hilarious or you know something like that like she she gets the concept of that, that there's clothes that you, like, wear out. There's clothes that you, like, pajamas. And then there's, like, clothes that you're goofy with. Mm-hmm. The movie, like a lot of good sci-fi, doesn't try and do one-to-one analogies. Because um, I love Twilight Zone, but occasionally you're like, yes, we get it. That person's supposed to be a black person. Yes, we get it. We should be nice to black people. Like, it, which, you know in the context of the 60s was probably very daring but I can't in the wait to context take, I can't wait to take that audio clip out of context <laughs> <laughs> yes like, I in get the, it we should be nice to black people but in the, in the concept of this of the in the context of the 60s is is probably more daring but in the uh, in the modern context you're like yeah obviously it's like yeah then the sky is blue also um, but uh, the Twilight Zone is really really good about often having sort of not one-to-one corollaries and a lot of good sci-fi um, avoids that. And I think this avoids that because it's about uh, treating people like toys, treating people like slaves, treating them like animals. And it's just trying to ask, ask a lot of questions broadly about um, what sort of degradation is okay to put people through and like how you would feel in, a, in this situation. Like it's, it's approaching something broader. Yeah. As, as Dustin kind of alluded to, like for all of our tolerance, we would have fucking no tolerance if animals like started like revolting against us like if all of our dogs got together and started slashing our tires and or and, our throats and, yeah and, and burning our houses down we'd be like fuck this you're done <laughs> or or destroying our ability to have sex if they're blowing up my sex statue <laughs> I'm, go- I'm tearing through those dogs <laughs> <laughs> your standard everyday sex statue that everyone is supplied with <laughs> this is god's will this might just be because i relate to tiva and, and like the character so much but i think she should have stated the movie more because as soon as uh tear runs away and joins a human tribe she pretty much just disappears there might not have been time with how differently we age compared to her but i think tiva should have come back in some way like maybe it's her with tear at the end and she's act- treating him more like an equal than like a toy or maybe- so th- so that they're so that the progression to human beings and drugs are now respecting each other instead of it- at the end it looks like it's a random drug respecting a human uh, then it has more resonance maybe it could be her kid that's listening to the info headphones that's and- that's adjusted to include humans as a relevant element yeah. Um, uh, if this were, like, if you put this through the Hollywood treatment and had had it Sid Fieldized, if that makes sense, he's the screenwriter that basically wrote what the conventional structure for a Hollywood screenplay is. 
he would have it be that it has to be about Ter and Tiva and how even though they're separated, they sort of paralleling their growth. Well, we, what we would have gotten was the Rise of the Planet of the Apes moment where um, James Franco goes to the woods and Caesar basically has to be like, get the fuck out of here. Like the revolution has already begun. Uh, or it would be like or the same similar moment happens in white god except for you know i won't spoil it but it's a little bit different like i, I think i think that it, bringing her back um would have been a delicate moment without making it um cheesy i think it works why she leaves though like oh i agree the um you know that's what happens you kind of grow up and there's this you know, everything that you like, I feel like, comes back around. There's that point where you start, you know, going through puberty and all of a sudden your pets aren't as big a deal. They're not your best friends anymore because you're trying to impress, uh, you know, girls or boys or whoever. Or they're off murdering somebody. Or they're off murdering someone, yeah. Um, there is that point where you just, you kind of like, the toys that you had, the pets that you have, take a back seat. And then when you get sick of all that stuff that you did in your teenage years, then you start buying Legos again and buying and getting pets. And then you die. Her dad, who is this like prime minister or whatever he is, he seems to be like an ohm sympathizer. Yep, he for sure is. He has a scene basically where he's like, they're not all bad. And you think he's going to like smarter than we think. <laughs> yeah. There's images from Earth where it's implied that drugs landed one day after weed basically done nuclear war because it was made in the 60s and 70s and we always assumed we'd destroy our civilization sooner or later and like some drugs picked up some humans and brought them back with them can i say before we move on from that that that's i was going to mention this later at the end but as long as we're talking about it that uh that is my favorite scene's not the right word but my favorite little touch of the movie that the uh like surveillance photos in an animated movie are like rough sketches yeah yeah that's Yes. I like that too. It's clever. It really makes it look like ruins, like there's nothing left of humanity on Earth. And it, it sort of proves the point to them that it, it just... Um, These were dumb. Yeah, they, they, were, they were advanced enough to find us, land on our planet, you know, enslave us, whatever was left of us. Um, or we hitchhiked on the spaceship. I don't know which one exactly happened first. And But to them, they basically said like, well, they didn't have a civilization. Like they couldn't look at, you know, skyscrapers and dams and, and these, you know, things that they could they could view from the sky and be like, this is a great civilization because we had we had thoroughly destroyed it. Yeah, right right after Bush did nine eleven. After Bush pulled <laughs> and pulled another classic nine eleven. And then Trump finished it off. Yeah, Trump Trump's gonna pull a nine twelve. <laughs> in eighteen twenty two. Nine They're gonna need to invent a new number for what Trump's gonna do to us. <laughs> it's gonna be the best nine eleven. I got the best nine eleven. <laughs> he did brag that his building was the tallest after nine eleven, like on the day. So oh, yes. oh, I had of the many, many awful things I've heard about him that's new to me. He he keeps finding ways to surprise yeah. you. That's what truly awful and truly wonderful people do. It's because we only have limited memory, so, like, there's no way to cram all of that craziness into, like, one one thought at any given time. Yeah, they were talking about on the anniversary of this tape of him calling in to some radio show, like, and in the background of this, like, tape is, like, the smoldering building, and he's like, so now my building's one of the tallest, so sad to see, you know, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, the way I've always thought about Trump now is, especially after watching, um, 
especially after watching Motel Hell, is that he's kind of a he's kind of a, a, a pig man, and that uh, he looks like if that little kid from that toy, the Richard Pryor movie, if he just like did nothing but read Stormfront and then crawled inside the corpse of a dead pig and just walked around, like he's just like this like hideous orange beast that just is incapable of pleasing me. That was his original campaign slogan. <laughs> I'm the kid from the toy. I climbed into dead pig. I'll make America great again. I'm incapable of pleasing people. <laughs> God. Um, Trump is like a box of chocolates, but every single one of them has a, a, a small mouse's skull inside of it. <laughs> no, it, no, it varies. So that you don't know which one it is. Yeah, it's a turd. It's a small mouse's skull. Cyanide capsule. Razor blades. Why are you still eating this box? <laughs> um, Most po- the best selling box in of chocolates. <laughs> Classiest box of. Well, it's because the it's because the other person selling chocolate sneezed once. <laughs> I don't trust it. I don't trust it. <laughs> The human society that um, Terra eventually runs away to, they kind of have this sort of pseudo-religious thing just to, just because I guess it's a sci-fi movie, they need to say something bad about religion. But it really never <laughs> develops into anything because we don't know what he believes other than pray to the planet. Don't don't invite the guy who brought the drug stuff. Yeah, totally worth it though for combat monsters. <laughs> oh, that that I yeah loved. I that hate was, that scene. Really? Was, it, make, it turns the movie briefly into Phantom Planet. You know that MST3K movie where they need to push these bars to push each other onto destruction plates, where they have to really cooperate to kill each other yeah but it's so great though because it's the people that are used are being used as animals are solving their differences by like using other lower creatures as animals and also getting killed in their fights oh i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying i hate it (laughs) (laughs) i I kind of missed that point until after tear kills his opponent they just kind of stab the other his combat creature and just throw it on the ground. Like, yeah, there. Really, we're done. They should have, like, put a wreath of flowers over his combat <laughs> creature. Or he should have, like, posed for a woodcut or something. <laughs> because the combat creatures. combat creature still tied to him. Maybe they used to leave him alive, but then all the combat creatures had P- PTSD. And they're like, it's just no, better no, to no, take no. him out once we put him through this. Sometimes no. dead is better. Take that combat creature, put it out to stud. <laughs> it's clearly a better one. Give him his own sex statue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but eventually the combat creatures are going to be too good. And they're just going to be these like big bulky ones that you can't even strap to your chest. And then wait, what are you going to do? You have a D combat creature rising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love – that would be great if it's just like a Russian nesting doll movie <laughs> where then the combat creatures rise up and then uh, all of the all of the ohms start like gassing their hideouts. Uh, <laughs> the combat creatures have combat creatures <laughs> and then it just kind of keeps going to show that – uh, everyone, no matter uh, no matter if you're being oppressed, you always think someone is lesser than you, and then it's a really <laughs> sad moral. And then eventually, it's just like a water bear attaching a flu virus to his chest so that he can fight another <laughs> water bear. <laughs> another problem I have with this scene is that the animation's really not there for 
an action scene. That's true. Like, you could do... This animation allows for moods of, like, fear and creepiness and otherworldliness and things like that, but they really couldn't make this look like an actual fight scene. There's so many cuts. Yeah, luckily it's it's over pretty quick. Yeah, it's like if Bay was in charge of this scene, but only if he brought his incompetence. <laughs> I wonder if they were to a different animation style, if that would have been just too jarring, or if that would have worked, made it flow better if they had done traditional ink and paper, you think? Or I'm just speculating. I think, I think it definitely would have been weird. I think that Dustin doesn't know how combat creatures move and has no point of reference. <laughs> and... Well, any, well, actually, any point in this uh, bit where Terra is ingratiating himself into human society because he's got the info tech that can get them around the traps. Incidentally, his thing should have been that he did the whistling thing to destroy the crystals. That should have been how he endeared himself, because otherwise they're just introducing a new thing. But this way, we've got payoff. It's true. In a, in a traditional sc- screenwriter structure, that would have come back, because it's apparently a pretty shitty natural uh, environment effect of this planet um, that doesn't come back again. Yeah, as the crystals will grow on you, but only the drugs know that you have to whistle to break Yeah, them. I totally forgot that that was a thing until right now. That's how much it doesn't yeah. come back around. Yes, that's... That's one of the problems with the screenplay. And as much as I hate, I fucking hate Sid Field and the influence he had on movies, his idea of setup and payoff sometimes is more satisfying. Him learning to whistle from Tiva and breaking the crystals while it's almost a microcosm of the movie in general. In that yeah, that is the payoff, he, isn't it? Yeah, but th- this would have been a more satisfying one instead of it's just something, it's just their thing, is that they break crystals by whistling. It does make a really cute image of them bonding and running around, both whistling and breaking crystals together. It does make for really cute imagery. Tiptoe through the glass shards. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the point I was getting at was that all the animation in the scene where Ter is introducing himself, it's kind of awkward. Like, there are are a lot of scenes where everybody just looks like they go dead. Yeah. Or or where they do that Terry Gilliam thing of cut out jaws that are the only part of the person (laughs) that can move. Yeah, yeah, Terry Gilliam animation was I was a note I had written down because it does seem, you know, it's the same type of, I suppose, uh, cut out. The other thing kind of reminded me of a little is I don't know if you I feel like I might be a little bit older than you guys when it comes to this. But do do you guys have any memory of like tapes you used to rent that you thought would be like animated versions of books that you like you liked? Yeah, um, I remember there were these ones where there was a guy who was. They were narrating the story, and he was sort of progressively drawing this a scene from it. Oh no, 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 as no, no! no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about like they used to be like so they have like a green eggs and ham book, and you'd, you'd think, oh yeah, you'd think they used like flash animation to cut it out so that yeah, well, it wasn't like, even just flash animation. It was just because I found one recently to show my daughter. I used to watch it. And I remember being like, you'd get one of those from a video store, and then like be like, fuck, I wasted my one rental pick on this because it was just like zooms and pans across the page of a book. Oh, motion comics. Yeah, of? while people like read it. Well, except they did this for like all these kids' books, and there's all these tapes. And I remember sometimes you would rent something and be like, "Fuck, it's one of these." And, uh, and, you were quite a four-year-old. Yep, yep. <laughs> that's what I was like. I was, 
it's the sentiment, not the not a verbatim uh, rec- recollection. This Fritz, this Fritz the Cat movie isn't animated as well as I want. I fucked up, mom. I fucked up, mom. Please go back to budget. It's only five for five for five dollars. Um, yeah, look you. Um, no, watch your brother's pick. He rented Rainbow Bright visits the San Diego Zoo again. Um, Damn right he that's, did. Yeah, because he's gonna grow up to be so. He's gonna. Th- Throw frogs and then work with the, with nonprofits, um, just like Rainbow F- Bright. Yeah, that's a real thing, by the way. Look it up. Rainbow Bright visits the San Diego Zoo. He rented it every oh, fucking time. Um, <laughs> there is, there's no bad cartoon idea from the 80s and 90s that I won't believe was real. Not a cartoon. People in uh, outfits visit the actual San Diego Zoo. Never mind. This is too horrible to imagine. It's on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, I, no. I owned like I had like a oh. link it, Dustin. Link it. No, I had a handful of tapes when I was a kid that was just j- j- different fire trucks and ambulances driving around, and I had a favorite. It's like this is the really good one. You guys got to see this shit. Your parents should have been more careful because I've learned from my fe- fetish comic work that you have to be really careful what you expose kids to. You, it can't just be don't expose them to sex or violence. Don't expose them to weird repetitive actions <laughs> either, or you might develop a fetish. Did Adam just walk out? <laughs> He's I didn't mean Adam. <laughs> Uh, he's giving me this theory before I yeah yeah the next, <laughs> I'm not gonna undermine Freudism, him on a podcast really. <laughs> so uh we're gonna start a new show for the podcast network and it's called oh. truck fucking yeah and <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna find these old tapes oh. uh, yeah so, uh, so anyways, you guys don't want to see my version of bang had, bus <laughs> this one had no close-ups on exhaust pipes yeah. so I give it two boners out of five yeah <laughs> Peter had to leave the room during that one scene in Beverly Hills Cop <laughs> God. Uh, um, the, uh, oh my god uh, so my point I guess my point was um, <laughs> was just that was that some of the animation. scenes there reminded me of uh, those old tapes where they weren't actually animating anything but they were just like panning around like a, a solid or a you know static piece of paper with, with a drawing on it yeah yeah I, I feel like the tone carried it through the sections where i wish there were more frames but the it, yeah it was more more that there were missing scenes for me less so than um the animation style bothered me much i mean obviously it's not as as put together as a bigger budgeted animated movie would be um but in this sense uh i don't know i kinda, i, I kind of liked i kind of liked the the scrappiness of it the story, I've talked about this before on the, sh- the show, one of my favorite movies is Akira, and Akira doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense as a movie, but visually it's so stunning that you don't care. This is the inverse, where the ideas are so stunning and, and interesting that uh, it doesn't really particularly matter to me that the animation doesn't, doesn't exactly hold up compared to other works of the era. I don't know. I think it's still visually so- impressive, it's just not... Uh- the animation isn't impressive, but the imagery itself is pretty striking. Well, sometimes it's only when the animation is kind of like in an in-between zone, like scenes where the characters look like talking puppets. That's bad. It would be better if they just like got more creative or did reaction shots on who's not talking. Yeah, whenever the camera's not dynamic, something. it's when it, it suffers. 
when the camera's not moving, or, you know, camera, whatever, the perspective <laughs> isn't moving, then um, then that's when it starts to, to suffer. Because, yeah, some of the stills even that have... Oh, and that's something I have a note on that I haven't talked about. There are some very impressive fades on this. Uh, fades aren't often used in animation much because it kind of wastes cells. cells. So these fades are pretty standout-ish compared to a lot of other animation, both then, both then and even now. It's a pretty rare thing to see. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there were moments where I was like, oh, the passage of time, and it was really effectively done because I was able to catch up, like, and I could see those fades being really effective. Yeah, I guess I never thought about, like, dissolves and other things in, uh, in animation films. There's a lot of things in animation that you don't kind of think aren't there in live action. I, I can't, my mind's blinking on some examples right now, unfortunately. Well, there are, there's going to be a lot of insert shots that you would get in live action that won't get in animation often because it's really hard to do that in animation to do a small, simple gesture. You can't really justify the expense. Hmm. Yeah, I, m- I remember listening to a lot of commentaries on like The Simpsons and talking about how they were animating different aspects. And I, I really, it's it's something that every time I hear about it, I'm completely fascinated by. And then I, ne- I don't pursue it besides like information that uh, that kind of accidentally falls into my lap. So um, it's definitely something I should seek out more. I think because like how the little things that you don't think about. Um, are pretty are pretty amazing. And some you mentioned uh, Terry Gilliam cartoons, yep. and how this sort of stylistically seems to resemble that. I believe what's going on there is they're using airbrushes. Mm. That's why it looks like his style in the background often, because those were sort of a trendy new technology when this movie was being made. So <laughs> probably to back in the day, a lot of people were thinking this sort of looks like. Uh, Flying Circus, <laughs> yeah, probably because they're using the same arts uh, methods. Yeah, that was the. Fir- I mean, the first thing I thought of. It went away because it kind of develops its own tone, and and yeah. it's easy to separate it. But the first thing, uh, when the woman was just running, and uh, before you kind of understood what was going on, it was like, oh, this looks like uh, you know something from Monty Python. Going down a different thread, I'm curious. What was everyone's opinions about the? The score, to me, the I didn't love the music too much. It's aged. I think it's aged um, kind of poorly in the sense that it just feels like 70s. At times, it's really eerie in, in what it wants to do. But just certain musical techniques of like 70s prog rock kind of psychedelia um, just have, haven't aged all that well. They just sound like tapes you heard when you were growing up um i think it evoked the tone that it wanted to but it's never something that i would listen to outside the film i don't think that's true of most film scores for me so um so i'll say that i i kind of liked it but i'm a big uh, peter gabriel genesis fan so yeah I, I, what did you what do you think dustin and Adam? i i don't like the music i think it just dates it i wish but i understand it being there and it's easy enough to ignore for me yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think it I think it um I think it's it evokes the mood that it wants to evoke and it's not distracting enough that I could ever fault the movie for it. Um and occasionally when I was paying attention, I was like, "Okay, this is kind of a, a funky little riff." And Adam, you Adam, you said you didn't like it that much either. I I understand what's going for. I don't 
think it gets there. I understand my musical tastes aren't necessarily what someone in 1973 would want to hear, certainly. I think it's Z-Rust. It's what they thought sounded futuristic and science fiction-y. And that's why John Williams was able to come in with Star Wars and blow all that away in 77, because all of that sounded kind of goofy compared to good music. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess if, now that I've had a second thing about it, I would have liked, and I think maybe it does, I might have to watch again. I probably would have switched kind of the musical approach for the different state, uh, kind roughly the acts. So it's one thing when he's kind of in pet arm phase, another when he's kind of gone wild and it's with the alms in the great tree and then in the final act something maybe potentially I don't I don't know, I'm not sure about the final so, act. So when he's with the drugs, you want it to be that dun 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 that was in nineteen fifties suburbia television and then you want Conan the barbarian for what he's on his own basically. and that may be precisely that. And then and then Jimmy Buffett for the Statues. <laughs> <laughs> wait, do you, wait. During Let's the statue, se- during the statue sex mingling, they do play uh, sexy seventies porno guitars. Oh, yeah, and a, a saxophone. You're right. Yeah, yeah. it's saxophones and ba- and sexy bass, not guitar. Which, no. Can we can we can no. we pause for a second? Peter, did you say sure. sexual mingling? Because that is like the most pleasant term <laughs> I've ever heard for sex. Like it's just just a little mingling. I gotta get some of that sexual mingling. <laughs> yeah, guys, jump this down. We got a hit song to record. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you? So, Dustin, did you want to walk us through the ending and what doesn't work for you? All right. Um, and then we'll share some well, then, uh, any scenes that we missed, and then final thoughts. The, all right. After he's ingratiated himself with uh, the humans outside and been through one of their light orgies <laughs> or something like that. Sexual mingling, their doubt- brother. <laughs> and then they've been attacked by sort of a bat thing with wings extending out of its head that is so powerful that it could just extend its tongue into their home and eat dozens of them. Oh, yeah. And then they can, but the humans are clever enough because the thing is showboating and just flying around them, that they could throw hooks into its wings. I was wondering when the thing was eating them, if it should have gone om nom nom. (laughs) (laughs) Let me explain. That's an anime trope where if you're eating something, it's like they go om nom 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 nom. It's like Homer when he's eating om nom nom. Homer Simpson. Oh, yeah, from, from not the, the Simpsons. Not, not the one from the Iliad? <laughs> <laughs> Did he write the he uh, Alchemist? <laughs> All right. Um, another thing. Whenever I see those that thin membrane on an animal get torn, that's oddly horrifying to me. It really made me feel for this big thing, even though it had just been eating dozens of humans. And it really creeped me out when that happened in The Good Dinosaur. I don't know if you've seen yeah, that one. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't like it either. I think it's kind of like the same, like, visceral thing as, like, that jackass part of the movie where, like, they're they're using paper cuts, like, in between their toenails. Or not in between their yeah. toenails, like, in between their toes. Yes. There's something about, like, connective tissue that's really thin that's, like, has a very visceral impact. Exactly. Even though they have a prank bloodbath, literal bloodbath, yeah. where somebody, where they poke a hole in the 
bat thing's head and blood just spews out and somebody gets shoved in the way. It's like a blood Gatorade <laughs> after winning the <laughs> They give it to the game. coach. <laughs> I, I, I wish I knew, I wish I'd written down the exact sentence because I do think that we just got the first, the full chorus for our song where you started with, when I see that thin membrane get torn, <laughs> I want sexual mingling. <laughs> when I see that blood fountain coming from your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> So we're selling this song to Goffs? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, then they learn that they're. Then they learn that a deomification is coming up, where the drugs are going to try to thin the human populations to more manageable levels. And they try to ingratiate. And they try to warn some humans that live in a park. And the humans are initially skeptical, but eventually, when the thing happens, enough of them get away that they can rebuild their society. Briefly, he kind of fails then, doesn't he? I mean, those arms might have just made out anyway. He, at that point, that particular point, it's, he's unsuccessful, right? Yeah, uh, most of them Succeeded died, everything. I thought. No, that's true. Um, yeah, even the chief of the tribe that he ingratiated himself with dies so that there's a turning over of power. And it's interesting how the, the power dynamics work in this movie, where I don't feel like it's ever really condemning the humans for their savagery, because it's always it's always like a righteous reaction to a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah, their backs are against the wall. Yeah, exactly. Um, which, you know, a different allegory, like, I don't know, like, like uh, a lot of, it's a pretty common trope to be like, the oppressed become the oppressors. Like, that was a big criticism Bioshock Infinite got and is still getting. People gave Snowpiercer shit for that. Like, it, it's kind of an interesting uh, trope that I think wouldn't have fit here. I think that it's just leaving the humans as this sort of, these underdogs that are, like, literally, it takes dozens of them, maybe a hundred of them to bring down one human. Yeah, like, and, and it's, t- it's telling how um, it's telling how kind the humans are in this world, uh, because even in even for us humans in this world, uh, if there was a cataclysm coming, I don't think that we would save the humans that lived in the park. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> pretty noble. Maybe they thought that they just needed to help build an army. I don't know. It could have been less noble. No, I I think that Tear was trying to be noble by warning them. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe, um, oh yeah, the the warning part was definitely his nobility, but I wish we got more of that sort of like peek into, going back to what I said at the beginning of the show, I wish we got more of a peek into Terra's humanity and um, whatever his, his girlfriend's name is, uh, non-name uh, girl, right. I, I want to peek. I'm going to I'm going to name her Blue because she's wearing a blue tunic, which wouldn't be at all confusing with all the massive blue yeah. people. <laughs> I think I think it could be Rip and then they solve crimes. <laughs> yeah, like like Aaron for... Rip, crime cyber. <laughs> Savage crime fighters. They just go to a crime scene and they say, "Well, did anybody see this crime?" <laughs> no. Well, then we can't solve this. <laughs> you know we can match the blood to your combat monster. <laughs> Can you? Right. No. <laughs> okay. So then they get to, they uh, sort of take these very odd sort of moving roadways to get to an abandoned rocket factory, which was set up at the beginning that 
the drugs are having some weird industrial problems where they're abandoning some of their factories. Abandoned rock. I love the sex move. Abandoned rocket factory. <laughs> you do that during your sexual mingling. <laughs> Sorry, I'm derailing the show. Final stretch. Um, as after they left in the process of leaving the park, they killed one of the drugs, and that kicks off the basic um, drug initiatives to kill off the human beings or kill off the wild human beings. And they use the information that they've gathered from the info stuff that they've stolen, infotainment headpieces, and they build rockets and fly to a planet where they think the drugs are vulnerable. It's their only way of getting at them. And on that other planet, they discover that they have statues that the meditating drugs sort of send their souls to so that the draw uh, so that the naked statues will dance and i imagine they were about to have sex but they couldn't put that in the cartoon without it being porn so they've put weapons on these rockets i assume the drugs abandoned them and they use the weapons to destroy some of the statues and it's basically threatens the drugs with Annihilation. So it's the thing that pushes the initiative to spare the humans. So what? What's your problem with that? Uh, well, like he said, the problem is it's a little too fast paced. It seems too convenient that the uh, drugs have this gigantic Achilles heel like this, and the fact that the personalities of the drugs who've been established as characters aren't coming into play. Oh, okay. Like somehow, I think some effort should have been made to make the prime minister or Tiva relevant to Terra getting to uh, Sex Planet, and or like maybe they spare them or I got it. So you something that sounded super confrontational when I said it too. So what's your problem with that? <laughs> I didn't mean it like you want to go outside. I, I just I was I was because I, you were hey I got something for you to remake. <laughs> the only reason I was like curious is because you were saying that there's like the ending has a lot to do with this was a problem I had with yeah. it. Yeah, this is a problem I think a lot of people have with it is that this part is so quick and the I mean there's even supposed to be like a thing where they need to move their rockets because the sex statues are supposed to be dancing towards their rockets and are threatening to crush them but they sex statues just dance in circles and don't seem to be coming any closer so you don't get a visceral threat from that stage. anything they seem to blow up the ones closest and the ones we see that are left they're dancing faster are farther away yeah i mean so i and, and remember i did not watch this movie um, no, <laughs> that's fair. No, uh, no now because this is going to feel like the question of like I must have missed something. I took it that they were so. This is the planet that they talk about that orbits where they do their meditation. I guess I guess <laughs> I must have missed that they were going there to because they thought it was going to be their Achilles heel. I thought that they went there because they thought that they could create their own society there. And they kind of stumbled into their Achilles heel. Well, they knew they know of the planet yeah. because of the infotainment. But they, but they, but, but they, they didn't know that that they didn't know that that was gonna like they were gonna be able to you know rocket ship shoot their sex statues. Yeah, but they, they just were going there, and that's another problem. It's that they win by happy coinc happy coincidence. Okay. 
that's not satisfying. It's not build up. It's the the characters aren't relevant to how they win. There's no cleverness involved aside from salvaging rockets. But it seems I get the impression they're kind of doing that unopposed anyway. I can see that being bothersome on my second watch. I think I can I, I as we're talking about this I can easily see that happening. I guess I was so like, wait, what the fuck? They're sex statues? And then they're blowing them up and then the movie ends. That I guess I guess I was more impressed with what was going on and interested that this was the direction the movie that took that I didn't really have as much time to go back and go, that wasn't satisfying because I like the way it kind of cold cocked me with where everything was going. Well, this is a a movie where there's a lot of nudity and I mean, there's a light orgy. So it's not so a lot of well, I guess there's some male nudity, too. But there's a lot of uh, women with cutouts for their breasts and their clothing. So to me, that it's less surprising that sex is going to be relevant. I don't in know. That kind of. The, or, sorry, go ahead. No, I was done. Oh, that it was the new the toplessness or bare breast was meant to be hinting at sex per se, but more kind of just referencing classical art was kind of my take on it. One piffy uh, comment was that there is a lot of nudity in this movie, but it's artsy. Yeah, it doesn't even. Yeah, at some point, like it doesn't even. You know, it, it's just like, oh yeah, they they live on this world. It's like seeing old periodicals that old old i don't know what i'm saying old, national yeah old national was... geographic magazines where like at some point i think the nudity just becomes like desexualized just because there's nothing sexual about like someone going and getting food uh without a shirt on at some point i i think so but again i don't write for a fetish thing. <laughs> well i hope i hope it's now that i say that i hope it's not supposed to be sexualized because tiva is one of those people oh, yeah. that's true uh, characters <laughs> All right, so so no, no so I wasn't. About I was sexy. Nothing about this movie is erotic. <laughs> Everything is cold and clinical. Yeah, so I yeah, so I guess I guess I wasn't expecting statue sex or or really much of a sexual. Um, I mean, there, you're right. There is the orgy and that kind of stuff. Um, I thought that was kind of like a celebration of like meeting meeting the other people. But yeah, the, I this this ending really did kind of catch me off guard. So I guess I didn't have enough time to catch my breath and. Again, I think a lot of the criticisms there are probably valid. They just didn't they didn't grab me on on watch one. The ending to me with the sex statues is basically the idea that uh, this whole thing is anti hippie and anti spiritual uh, pseudo spiritualist movement because in the Soviet Union, like America, there kind of was a hippie movement too. But and we have the, so we have this country where there's this huge dichotomy where they have this huge powerful military that's taking over other countries, but at the same time there's all these there's all this meditation going on. There's all of this stuff about there's all this sort of recreational drug use, which is what I think the meditation really means. So when they go to that other planet, all these religious things, all the meditation, all the soul leaving and things like that, what we're actually seeing is that it, there isn't a deeper religious spiritual meaning to it. There's just indulgence. And the fact it's sex statues is the meeting between um, the pleasure of the sex, a sort of artistic cultural civilization thing 
that they're trying that that's sort of hollow. That's why they can blow them up easily. So basically, they're exposing the hollowness of that sort of hippie lifestyle that you had both in America and the Soviet Union, and that's what brings them down. That's the only way they have any hope of bringing uh, the drugs, which are the Soviet Union, in my interpretation, down. Yeah, uh, so I immediately buy into that. Uh, <laughs> no, well, don't. No, no, I think, I think, I think that like questioning, it's fun. No, I sorry. As uh, challenge, well, I guess, thing, I, then just so I guess, agree. I guess here's here's why I'm not challenging that. I'm sorry. I'm I I have no problem pushing back. Ever vigilant. Are you but, challenging him by not challenging yeah. him? <laughs> what he least expected. Um, I'm using my pacifism and hippieism to push back. Um, no, I like I, I don't know if that's what was meant, I guess. But I, I think that interpretation fits really well. And I think there was a lot of pushback on like the hollow spiritualism. I mean, that, w- that was kind of the, the thing about the 70s is you kind of had – the older generation going, yeah, the younger generation saying, hey, we're doing this to be spiritual and commune with nature. And you have the older generation going, they just want to fuck each other. And that was kind of like a lot of the generational uh, conflict. So whether this is supposed to be a uh, reflection of that from someone who is scolding or almost a parody of the older generations, like what they think is going on underneath the hippie movement, I don't know. And I don't even know if it was meant, but I think the the reading that you just gave of like how this can be interpretive is fucking spot on. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really clever way of interpreting the the, the specificity of the sort of sexual waltz. Because to me, in my mind, it was just it just served as a sort of um, not a one to one direct translation of anything just more like a this is something that's crucially important to the drug and what could be more important than a strange reproduction yeah strange reproduction ritual and the whole movie they'd sort of been hinting that like reproduction is kind of hard for the drug at least you know harder than it is for humans which apparently in this universe copulate like rabbits yeah they have find the forest friend yeah I could totally buy that interpretation. I think that it's definitely supposed to be hinting at the idea of decadence by the ruling elite and the idea that these people are, are, you know, hiding behind some sort of higher goal. But in reality, like you could hurt them just by taking away their, their small extravagances. Um, so yeah, I, I, I could see, I could see, I could see that perspective for sure. Dustin. So what, so what does Adam think of the theory? I'm, I kind of still like a broader interpretation of it, in which case I can't quite take what the meaning is. Maybe that we have to resist oppression more broadly, and that even the the way it's presented here is certainly more surreal than a particular reference to that time period. It's my take on it. I, I found a fairly cool quote from Rene Lowe that I'll use right now. Uh, what suggests is superior to what shows? Movies today show more and more. It's paranoid dictator cinema. What we need is schizophrenic cinema. He must have loved House. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, I, I think that I think that the ending, as long as you interpret it as like it's almost it's kind of embarrassing for the drug to be found this way, that that there's something hollow about it. I think as long as you interpret it that way, I think that you're on on you know safe footing, which I think works well for general p- oppression too, because the people. I mean, if you like, let's say you're going to use uh, any any sort of oppression at the end of the day is hollow. Like the you know the the fact that we had slaves at one point in this country was based on a myth that you know that white people were superior to black people. When you get when you get on every other level of how that holds up from a scientific from a cultural standpoint, like obviously there's nothing there. In that belief, it's a it's a shallow belief that's meant to justify oppressing and benefiting from the the literal use of another culture. So, I mean, there, any situation where a human puts themselves above another human, at the end of the day, that's going to that's going to seem hollow the second you try to analyze it, because by definition, if we think that we're all equal or have some level of equal rights like that's never going to hold up to scrutiny also the fact that um the sex statues are on another planet is because satellites because it's a satellite world so i'm thinking soviet satellites too so so i'm just i'm planting my flag on the this is symbolic of a very specific thing does that does that does that flag have a sickle in it <laughs> no, it has the opposite. Oh. It's anti-Soviet. Um, what would be? What's the opposite of a sickle? A pillow. A pillow. <laughs> yeah, what, what unsickles things? <laughs> Glue. <laughs> tape. <Yeah>. tape. <laughs> it's a roll of duct tape. <laughs> Once you sickled something, it's really hard yeah. to unsickle it. Once you go sickle. You're in a real pickle. You're in a real pickle. (laughs) (laughs) And that'll be the final line for sexual mingling. (laughs) (laughs) And then it ends with, well, no, it has 10 minutes of prog rock. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, let's, uh, yeah, final thoughts on the movie. Um, Adam, Dustin, you guys can go first. Flawed masterpiece. Um, Very impressive uh show of european animation and i'm kind of sad that it didn't lead to more creation at least more creation that i've heard about or seen yeah it's a it's a movie that i think uh needed a little bit more room to breathe i wish it told a little bit more of the human story but i ended up loving it a lot more than i thought it was going to and upon reflection might might uh, adoration for it is growing more and more and it's a uh, sort of movie where if you are we've done a lot of um, bug nuts crazy movies this month <laughs> if you are sort of apprehensive and this is an idea i don't believe in at all but if you're apprehensive to the the whole weird for the sake of being weird movies um i don't think this is the, that at all i think even the alien every alien device in the movie i think a lot of the alien design is all super purposeful it all it's all there to to prove a point and it's not just strange to be strange it's strange to set a tone and uh i love that yeah and i i agree i, I really liked it and i think it's i think sometimes you can get caught up on something being strange or different and forget that, like, the reason that we consider it strange is because not many people have done it as much. And what we should – you know, Haosu, Goke, um, this, I think they're they're less strange 
and more unique. Someone did something that's not done as often from an animation style, in this case, to uh, plot structure. And, um, you know, that that doesn't always have to be repellent to an audience that, oh, this is that weird movie. I'm kind of speaking about the concept of strange movies in general, which I do think that Fantastic Planet falls under. Um, and, I, and I think that, you know, we, we, we've seen so many versions of movies a hundred times over and being able to say something that is, you know, like Adam just said, he, he wished there was mo- more movies like that. This. Yeah, I, I have not seen an animated movie that really fits this very well. Like, I can't think of a fan, Fantastic Planet like movie off the top of my head. I'm sure they exist, but the fact that um, you know you can you can say most movies and go, oh yeah, here's if you like that movie, I here, you should see this movie stuff. Here's another hero's journey, or here's another uh, bit where there's a first act, second act, third. Yeah, act. like oh you like Science of the Lambs, you should see Seven. Like most movies that even even really good movies, they have uh, an easy way to recommend if you like this. Uh, my guess is if you go to like the IMDb page and look at something like Fantastic Planet or Goke, it's going to recommend just other weird movies, not necessarily the same weird, but because they're hard to put in a box and they're hard to find movies that are like that. And that's, I think, a lot of even something that we were a little more negative on, like uh, Southland Tales, it's still worth seeking out those movies because we should be rewarding people that try something different as much as possible. I'm glad that I saw this movie before I saw his shorts, because otherwise, if I'd seen that thing with the giant snails attacking uh, the city thing first, I might think, oh, this is a satire, or this is a deconstruction, or something like that, so I won't get emotionally engaged with it. But fortunately, this was my first taste of this writer-director team, so I took it at, uh, so I was more open to what it was going for. Yeah, and they, they took a really big uh, change in direction later on in their careers when they made White Man Can't Jump. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dumb as fucking, it's late. All right. Uh, <laughs> and so so uh, thank you so much, uh, Adam, Dustin. This was a blast. Um, I, re- I really hope you guys both join us again. Um, this, this was, yeah, this was a ton of fun. It went really well, I think, for our first, our first foursome. Uh, so we'll let you guys, uh, take over the show for probably the next 10, 20 minutes, uh, to go over plugs. Yeah, plug it up. <laughs> uh, let Dustin take most of the plugs, I think. All right. If you enjoyed the weird fantasy experience of Fantastic Planet or hearing it described, you will really enjoy Forrest, the novel about two sisters in a fairy community that have to save their village after a strange curse has turned everybody into monsters. It's an exciting and hilarious experience you can't afford to miss, available on Amazon.com. That's Forrest, F-O-R-U-S-T, A Tale of Magic Gone Wrong. That was lovely. Chilling Tales is developing a pilot, an animated collection of short story adaptations for Netflix. Make sure to stay tuned for our Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or all other crowdfunding programs to make this show a possibility. That's Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Excellent. Yeah, and we'll include uh, we'll include a link to that um, and anything else that you guys didn't get a chance to talk about here. Uh, and we'll we'll definitely plug that stuff because I'm. Uh, uh, and we'll definitely be talking more about Remake This and other things that uh, Dustin's contributed to the YouTube page, which is basically, I think, the entire 
entire YouTube page. Um, occasionally, we we uh, like things. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, but Dustin, again, just thank you so much. You've been a great supporter. Adam as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think we would be as far along in the podcast. I, well, I can definitely say that we would not be as far along in the podcast without the support of both of you guys. So thank you so much. Um, so this was the last week of uh, Kitchen Sink Bug Nuts. Uh, we're moving into next month. Which I think we decided on take two. We're going to be talking about um, horror sci-fi originals and then the remakes that are considered uh, more classic. That'll start next week with The Thing from Another World with special guest Amanda Lett. Followed by Just the Thing with uh, Just Peter and myself. Uh, That's Peter's favorite movie of all time. So I really like it a lot too. Uh, I'm going to do my best uh, as revenge for Dark City to shit all over it over the course of two hours. Uh, <laughs> I really like it. Just a vengeance episode. Uh, I'm not, I wouldn't do that to you, Peter. I am so excited to talk about the thing. Um, and then that'll be followed by uh, The Fly from 1958 with Brandon Leday. Fly from 1986 with Sam Scott. And then we'll announce our Halloween mystery episode a little bit later on. So we got a full lineup. We got a lot of movies that a lot of people like. Um, and of course, really changing genres with, uh, with some more horror movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 2017. We'll, we'll, uh, our, our new year's resolution is to do less horror movies. Yeah. Well, don't worry. November. I don't know how much, uh, we're not going to say what that is yet, but if you are getting a little sick of the horror sci-fi, uh, movies, I cannot think of a 180 degree pivot more than, uh, than what we're going to be talking about in November. Uh, thank you so much for joining us guys. Again, a lot of fun and we'll see you uh, next week on take two month yeah thank you very much thanks guys for having us goodbye have fun with your have fun waltzing with your sex statue (laughs) have fun sex mingling Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, WLTWpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash We Love to Watch. And uh, yeah, reach out to us. Give us some feedback, give us some support, uh, suggest movies for the show, all that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.